You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so Be'ezras Hashem, tonight we're going to be continuing our series of Shirim on the inner world of trauma. And tonight is going to be a continuation of sorts from the Shir on language, where we find ourselves in that post-traumatic growth-oriented space of language, where language has lost its original purity, its original unity. But in the breakdown of language, in the breakdown of the words, in the shattered houses, or those batim, we came to uncover once again, were those osios machimos, were the fact that it was the letters themselves that would rebuild and give us the ability to form our experience once again, to live through language as speaking creatures, to endow meaning and order to the chaos of our lives. And what we're going to talk about today, Be'ezra Sashem, is the relationship that we have to time and that time has to us, especially the question of trauma and time, the time of trauma or the trauma of time itself. <clears throat> and we're going to try and understand what it is about time that makes trauma what it is and what it is about time that allows us to elevate ourselves back up once again from that shattered world of post-trauma. Now, like everything, we have to go back to the beginning and back to before the beginning. When we look at Bereshis Bara Eloikim, when the Torah, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu describes the entry point of reality, it's Bereshis, in the beginning. In the beginning, Bereshis Bara Eloikim, there's a sense that things have always already started. Bereshis in the beginning is the sense that there was something that took place prior to the beginning. Then the beginning happened. Then we reflect on the beginning with the word Bereshis. And when we say this is what happened in the beginning. So already at the outset of creation in its ideal form, we already see a lag, a distance, or a divide, however so slight, between the experience itself of the beginning and our encounter with the beginning through the tools of language and logic. Because by dint of the fact that we are aware of it, that we are aware that there is a beginning that took place, it's always already after the actual event of the beginning. Because to be human, to be something that is reading a text, to operate in a world after HaKadosh Baruch Hu has decided to be Mitzvah himself, is to always exist with a lag, however so slight, a distance, however so slight, between the event itself and our experience of the event, and how we reflect on the event. That in order to reflect, in order to look backwards towards that which took place, we have to always be standing 
from a perspective of the future where that thing has already happened. So even before the breakdown of human experience, even before Adam and Chava shatter the world of the Eitzachayim, the world of pre-knowledge where everything is clarified, we see that the mere existence of the world brings into focus the natural lag in time that human beings will always already be caught up in. To be human means that we cannot experience things in their immediacy. To experience something in its immediacy as it is taking place, to be fully conscious of that which is taking place is a pure experience without any reflection. It is simply being present in that moment. Language is always post-reflective. It's always looking back on something that has happened already. And so when we say when we're referring to the origin, when we're referring to the beginning of things, we are always already caught up in a place after the beginning has ended and we're trying to apply labels or definitions to try and understand what that beginning was. One of the elements or one of the natural outcomes or the outgrowths of such a reality of time where the event in and of itself and our understanding of the event is always slightly off kilter, is always slightly disunified, we see in the next Pasuk is even before Adam and Chava, even before human beings bring about the fallibility and the descent away from the ideal of things, we see that the pristine nature of creation was already in a state that was non-ideal. Because at this point, after the lag of time, after we recognize that our only access to the beginning of things is by dint of a perspective of it having always already ended, beratious, that's something that happened, we find and the land was desolate, it was the Mephorshim pick up on the fact of what does it mean why are we speaking in a tense of past tense that the land was desolate and void we're speaking about things that are seemingly happening for the first time. So why refer to it in a past tense as if it is something that has always already happened? And Rashi picks up on this and he quotes from the Sefer Habba here, one of the pre-original texts of Jewish mysticism, which brings up the same question of what does it mean haisa? What does it mean that the land was always already desolate? And what it means is that haisa mekadmat dana, it happened already. The, the chaos, the, the disunity, the, the bubbling sense of not knowing what is up and what is down was always already present. It always already happened. And our conscious awareness of it, our awareness of the fact that things are bubbling overboard and things are chaotic is always post facto, is always after the event itself has taken place. The Lashem Shabbat Vachalema picking up on this belated awareness of things, this notion of that the land already was desolate, beckoning into our minds the fact that something has always already taken place, something has broken, and we're not even sure when it broke, we just know that our consciousness is always already after the breaking. And the Lashem Shabbat in identifying the Olam HaTohu, the world of chaos, with the world of the shattered vessels, which as we said was the primordial trauma that gives birth to reality, the Lashem says as follows, 
But what we have to know with regards to the death of these kings and their shattering and all of the events that go along with them and all of the symptoms and outcomes that emerge afterwards, this is referred to as the world of chaos. And this is the secret of what's written in Parshas Bereshis in the second Pasuk, and the world was always already chaotic. The Amru B'Sefer here, and it's brought down in the Sefer here. My Tohu, what does Tohu mean? Davar adam, something that confounds and confuses the human mind. Because when the individual gazes at it, the individual looks at it, instead of understanding, instead of having some clarified grasp of things, what they come to understand is that I have no grasp whatsoever and I'm thrown into a space of questioning and instability. And the Sefer Abahir continues and it says, And the land was desolate. What does the past tense mean here? We're speaking about the origination of events. How could it be that we're speaking about something that has taken the past? So the answer is, It already happened. And so too in the Zohar HaKadosh, and the land was desolate, it means that it happened earlier. When did it happen? It happened in a place that is beyond our conception. It happened in a time that was so ancient, not because it's far away from us, but because it rests just outside of our conscious awareness. That already at the outset of creation, even in the ideal setup of things, there is a gap, there is a distance between the thing itself and our immediate awareness of that thing and our capacity to cognitize and order and make reason to those things that happen to us. Meaning to say that human consciousness as creatures in a world that is created is always already reflective. We're always already looking back towards something that has already taken place. What took place? How did it take place? We're not quite sure how it took place, but human consciousness is marked by a lag in time. It's marked by a distortion between the thing that has taken place and our awareness of that thing taking place so that even in our closest memories of things that have just happened in their immediacy, there's always going to be the distance between the post-reflective experience of looking back on what has happened to me and the event itself which exists in its purity beyond my capacity to understand it. Now this is true already in the fabric of creation that human beings have no capacity of grabbing hold of the event itself and our experience is always reflective as to what has happened beforehand. Let us now see what happens when human beings get involved because this is going to be where the traumatic kernel of time really affects us. So the fact that the world was created, that things were always already outside of the purview of our ability to grasp the immediacy of them, and therefore we're always reflecting on things as if it happened already prior to our awareness, prior to our knowledge. Nevertheless, the human experience prior to the Chet of Adam HaRishon, was one where there was a lack of self-consciousness. Yes, there was a lag between things in their essence and the human being's capacity to grasp it and cognitize it and form neat categories of understanding. Nevertheless, we were not aware of our post-reflective nature. 
We were not aware of the fact that as human beings, things are always taking place in our minds after they have actually taken place in reality. Even if the distance between the event and the reception of the event is so imperceptible that time can't measure it, Nevertheless, that inherent lag between the thing in its essence and the reception of the thing in its essence was always present. The only difference was that as we existed in Gan Eden, we weren't bothered by this. We were not aware of the separation and the gaping abyss that takes place between the essential nature of things and our human limitations of grasping things only as they appear to us. And human beings, Adam and Chava, operated in a state of, of unity where this time consciousness, this time awareness, this lag, this awareness that things have always already taken place didn't bother them. If we look in the Nefesh if we look in the Rambam, if we look in all of the Rishonim and the Achroinim, especially as seen through the lens of the Nefesh or of Chaim Velazhener, with regards to what the Chet of Adam HaRishon was, it was an entrance from purely objective reality of truth and falsehood into the birth of subjective experience where the categories of true and false now melted into good or bad or right or wrong, meaning they were now colored by human experience, which means that the partaking of the chet of the Yitzhadas, engaging into that world of disunity and distortion and all of the various levels of up, down, right, left, middle, outside, is the birthplace of the human being's awareness of the fact that things have always already happened. I am now born into time consciousness. I am now as a human being aware that I cannot truly experience the event, the moment itself in a pre-reflective stance anymore. It now becomes abundantly clear to me post chet of Adam HaRishon that everything happens just prior to my capacity to grasp it in an understanding way. And so when I'm reflecting on it, it's something that has always already taken place right before my capacity to experience it. Almost as if I have arrived onto the scene of the event ever so slightly late. And had I been ever so slightly early, I would have merited to experience the event itself without reflection, without commentary, but simply a pure experience. But because I tarried and because I lagged behind, I have just missed it. Something has always already just disappeared from beyond the scene. I could have experienced the tohu and the chaos, but now in my human awareness, I am simply aware that there was tohu here, and now the residual traces of tohu exists, but I can no longer grab hold of the event itself. The the chet of Adam HaRishon was the entrance into the awareness that that was our experience. The Ramchal in his parish on Adir Bamarom explains this more so than many of the tzaddikim. The Ramchal describes the separation between pre-time consciousness and post-time consciousness. That pre-time consciousness, everything was ever present. There was no distinction necessarily between past, present, and future, because all that existed was what was right in front of me at this moment. In the language of the Ramchal, 
all possibilities existed at the very same moment, and all of them manifested in the very same moment in spite of the fact that the human mind was incapable of grasping it, meaning that life happened. There was no disability in our ability to relate to life, to process life. Life just flowed naturally without our subjective reflection on it, but it took place objectively. So if something was cold, I experienced cold. If something was hot, I experienced hot. But there was no reflection on what does cold mean to me, what does hot mean to me, what took place here. After the Chet of the Eight Sadas, what we enter into is what is referred to as Chaye Sha'a, life of the hour, life that is cut through with time awareness. And in time awareness, only one thing can happen at once. I am aware of what is taking place in front of me right now, but by being aware of what is taking place in front of me right now, I have naturally forgotten what has taken place before that moment, and I have let go of my ability to be aware of what's going to happen in the next moment. And in this hyper-focus on the moment in front of me to the exclusion of the past or the future, that's the birthplace of anxiety, it's the birthplace of fear, it's the birthplace of dread, it's the birthplace that, oh my goodness, if I'm not paying attention to what has happened in the past, it might get lost, I might forget it, I might lose a grip on it. The notion that things can be lost forever simply because my mind is not focused on it, I become uncomfortable with regards to the relationship to the unknown future, and I gives birth to that anticipatory anxiety of what might happen next. And so the time consciousness that is born out of the chait of the eight sadas is this awareness that I am simply always only able to grasp what is taking place in this moment. And this moment is always a little bit after the event actually takes place. And in this post chait of the eight sadas perspective, the human mind becomes bothered by our inability to grasp things in their essence. We become very aware that when trying to reflect on what is bothering us, what has taken place in my life, what has taken place in my experience, and instead of remembering an actual event, I am always caught and stuck in the splinter of memory where I can't quite recapture the exact contours of the moment. It's always an estimation. It's now a possibility of this was what took place, as opposed to an absolute knowledge of this is what took place. The Nitziv, and this is an idea that we've spoken about numerous times, the Nitziv says something absolutely incredible. The Nitziv says that prior to the Chet of the Eight Sadas, one of the essential categorizations of human experience was the notion of veloyus boishashu. We were not ashamed. There was no self-consciousness that gave birth to this perspective that there's something wrong with me or there's something right with me. I simply experience things in a pre-judgment form, in a pre-reflective experience where experience equaled experience, where the thing taking place and my conscious awareness of that thing taking place were taking place at the very same moment simultaneously. Post the Chet of the Eight Sadas, we enter into a place of busha. We enter into a place of shame. We enter into that place of boishesh. And what the Nitziv says, what Rav Naftali Tzvi Zev Berlin tells us in his commentary on the Chumash, 
is that we have to redefine what the word busha means for ourselves. Because yes, busha implies shame, which implies human consciousness and self-reflection, and it implies self-judgment, and it implies the possibility of feeling good about myself or feeling low about myself or feeling okay about myself, all of which are value judgments with our only emergent after the chayt of the Eitzadas, where valuing becomes a possibility, as opposed to the essential nature of things that existed before the chayt of the Eitzadas. But busha here doesn't only mean shame. The Nitziv tells us that let's look at another iteration of the word busha in the Chumash. And the place that we find busha is with regards to Moshe Rabbeinu when he ascended Har Sinai to receive the Torah. And the Jewish people had expected Moshe Rabbeinu to return down to them at a particular, very specific time. And according to their calculations or their miscalculations, Moshe Rabbeinu tarried. Moshe was late. Moshe didn't arrive at the predestined time that he had stated he would arrive at, but he tarried and he arrived a little bit after when he was expected to arrive. So the Nitziv says that we see that the word busha or the word boshesh also implies tarrying, being late, a belatedness a perspective of always already slightly after the predestined date. And Zakt the Nitziv, prior to the Chet of the Eitzadas, before we descended into self-consciousness, which made us very aware of the fact that as a human being, we can never experience time in its essence, but it's always a post-reflective awareness of time, we weren't bothered by it. And therefore, we didn't feel this busha, we didn't feel the sense of tarrying or always already being late. But after the chet of the Eitzadas, we experience busha, we experience time consciousness, we become aware of the fact that everything that takes place is always slightly earlier than what my human conception is capable of telling me. And I'm always aware of things slightly after they took place that human consciousness is always reflective. I'm looking back on things. I'm looking back on things and when I try and conjure up exactly what has taken place, exactly what the moment felt like, exactly what the feeling was, exactly trying to remember the moment and the event itself, instead of finding an absolute encounter with the fullness of that event, I'm always left with a blind spot of trying to recall, trying to remember, trying to recollect this thing that stands slightly outside of the purview of my consciousness. It's always an awareness of something has happened that I'm not quite sure what it was, and I'm left trying to pick up the pieces of what it felt like to me. So I can no longer tell you exactly what has taken place. I can only speak to you about what I think has taken place. This is what it means to be a human being caught up in time consciousness. Zman, we're told, the notion of Zman is something that is only subject to post-traumatic reality. That the experience of the trauma of Shira Takelin, which on the language of a Kabbalistic lexicon is a descent away from the mindset of wisdom and understanding associated with Chachma and Bina, particular supernal names of godliness, and a descent into a world of emotional experience and physical experience, Zeranpin and Malchus, which are associated with specific names of God, referred to as the Shem Havaya B'miloy Alfin, the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's four-letter name spelled out 
fully with an Aleph, as well as the doubled nature of Rabbana Shalalem's name, Havaya Hakfula. And what the gematria of those names are, are Ma and Ben, 45 and 52. When you add 45 and 52 together, which represents that post-traumatic reality of after the Shvira, what we find is the gematria of Zman. We encounter the gematria of Zman, which is 97. That Zmaniyut, this awareness of time or time awareness of being caught up with the fact that things have always already taken place prior to my emergence on the scene and the birth of my consciousness is always looking back on something and trying to recollect the missing pieces to put the pieces back together to have a clear understanding of what has happened, that is a post-traumatic symptom. And what comes along with Zman what comes along with time consciousness is also a sense of deep responsibility, of hazmana, of being called, of a certain bureaucratic sense of having been summoned to something. It's a sense of being responsible. It's a sense of there's a demand, there's an urgency in the moment, but I don't quite understand exactly where that urgency is coming from. I know that there's a call calling me to do something. There's a hazmana, there's a zimun, there's some responsibility that I need to try and take care of, that I need to try and manifest. But when I try and actually understand exactly who is calling or what is calling or what that call is, I find myself at the end of the day, no matter how far back in my mind I can go, I find myself caught up in that blind spot of not being able to traverse that infinite gap between my experience of something and the event in and of itself. This is what it means to be a human being stuck in time consciousness, to tarry, to lag, to always already be late for something that has already happened. Now, when we look at trauma, when we look at either the lowercase t traumas of our lives or the capital T traumas of our lives, one of the things about a traumatic response or a traumatic episode is that it marks a new beginning of our awareness, that our lives before the trauma were oriented towards a particular origin point, whether it's the earliest memory a person has or whether it's the earliest imagination that a person has. I have a flimsy yet firm starting point from which I start my experience. And I can trace back the contours and the events of my life to that particular origin point. What a trauma is, is a sudden departure away from everything that I've known, where what I have come to expect or what I have come to understand as thematizable in my life is shattered open, it splinters open, and I no longer have any access back to that original, you know, innocent security of absolute knowledge. And the trauma represents a, a new beginning where time and my life is now oriented back to the traumatic event. That traumatic event becomes the second birth for myself. It becomes the thing that gives birth to my new time awareness, to my new history. And when a person is trying to contemplate what the trauma was, when a person is experiencing post-traumatic symptoms, whether it be anxiety, whether it be obsessions over control, whether it be a fear of being imperfect, which gives birth to an incessant desire towards perfectionism, whether it is a post-traumatic stress, whether it is a physiological symptom that's taking place, very often what a therapist or a health practitioner might do or any type of guide might do is to try and ask the individual, identify the event. 
what has taken place? What affected you so terribly? But what they fail to recognize is that the nature of trauma is the impossibility of identifying the event. I know vaguely that something has taken place. I know vaguely that there is something, some point in my history where things broke open and split open and melted. But as far back in my memory as I try and go, I can't quite grasp the specific details, the specific reality of that event because my consciousness is always already caught up in a post-facto reality. It's post-reflective. It's always something that has already happened slightly outside of the purview of my capacity to grasp things in their absolute nature. That I live my life in the perspective that things happened already. Something took place. What took place? That's going to always already be caught up in human speculation and calculation. I simply know that there were devarim that have taken place. And so when trying to secure with absolute knowledge the event that has taken place, I find that all I find is more and more confusion. In psychiatric and psychological literature, this is referred to as the belated response to trauma, which was defined later on in second generations of psychoanalytic French theory as afterwardness. That belatedness implies that my human consciousness is always already late to the scene. That I, who experienced a particular event, whether it be a lowercase t trauma or a capital T trauma, something that has torn my expectations asunder, when I try and reflect on what has taken place, and again, reflection for the hope of absolute knowledge would be the tool necessary to understand what has taken place, process what has taken place, and move forward from what has taken place. If I could cognitize, if I could thematize and understand clearly and definitively what has happened in my life that has torn me asunder, then it would no longer be affecting me in such a traumatic way because I would be able to look at it as an event that has taken place with absolute certainty and I can move forward from there. But the tangled up in blue that takes place as the result of the trauma is that as close as I come to understanding the specific event, I will always already be caught up with an element of doubt trying to understand what exactly happened here. I cannot retrieve the original event. And so our post-traumatic awareness is always with a sense of belatedness. I have arrived a little bit too late towards the scene. They have already cleaned up the mess that has taken place, leaving me to only speculate and possibly try and guess or estimate what has taken place. This notion of afterwardness, this notion of I can only understand the events that have torn me asunder or that have pushed me away from my stability from a perspective of something has always already happened, of vaharetz haisa tohu vavohu, or that it happened already, it happened, it's mikvar, it took place already. This is what gives birth to so many of the difficulties and the instabilities of what it means to be a human being. Let's think for a second about Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu encounters one of the 10th the trauma, perhaps, which was the Nisayon of Akedas Yitzchak. And the opening to the Nisayon of Akedas Yitzchak was Vayihi Achar Hadvarim Ha'ila. And it was after these things. After what things? What took place? What happened? What was the precedent? What was the space and the shape and the ground upon which the Nisayon of the Akedah, the trauma of the Akedah was born out of? 
The Torah is not specific about what took place. And if you look at Rashi and you look at the commentators, Rashi doesn't do much help, except in the lack of Rashi's help, he's really giving us an inkling into the nature of our relationship with the past. Rashi says this was either the Satan coming to HaKadosh Baruch Hu unbeknownst to Avram Avinu, or it was a specific event. Meaning, the notion of achar hadvarim ha'ela is always going to be caught up in the split possibility of was it this or was it that. Rashi on vayi achar hadvarim ha'ela says yesh oimrim that it was this yesh oimrim that it was that. That's not simply symptomatic of the fact that we don't know what happened, but that is the very nature of what it means to reflect upon a past event that gives birth to a traumatic encounter. It's either this thing or that thing, but I can't know with absolute certainty. And to live my life in a perspective of achar hadvarim ha'ila is always to live my life as if I am simply a little bit too late. I'm a little bit too late to understand what has actually taken place. And therefore, all of my awareness is belated, is post facto, is trying to piece the pieces and the hints back together to try and make some recollection or some picture or some memory of the previous event. But it's never an absolute grasp of what has taken place. This is what we find very often in the writings of Rabbi Nassim and Rabbi Nachman that when describing the spiritual falls that the individual experiences, the descent from the lofty sites of spiritual awareness down to the chaotic abysmal depths of what it means to be confused and confounded in our minds, we've discussed this before that Rabbi Nassim never specifies exactly what has taken place. It's never after you have done X, Y, or Z, or after X, Y, or Z has taken place, but rather it's described in a very anonymous kind of subjective nature. When a person has fallen to the place that they have fallen to, when a person has gotten stuck in the place that they've gotten stuck in. And this subjective anonymous description of that which has taken place can frustrate our attempts of understanding exactly what the problem was. I can never be absolutely sure at which point things fell apart. All I know is that things fell apart and I'm struggling to put the pieces back together. If I only knew exactly what it was that tore things asunder, that broke things open and caused them to melt, at least I would know what I have to work on. But the post-traumatic awareness of time or human consciousness is that it's always already just an estimation of something that has already taken place slightly outside of our purview of time, leaving us struggling, leaving us trying to understand exactly how to move forward. This is what it means to be stuck in time. This is what it means to be an individual who is in the post-traumatic shards of time where that zmaniyut and that hazmana and that being called and that responsibility leaves me feeling like I know that I'm responsible for something, but I can't quite put my finger on what I'm responsible for. When Freud was describing the early writings of trauma, when Freud was trying to convey the early understanding of trauma, he described the, an incident where a child, something takes place to a child. There's an unfortunate event that is perpetrated against a child. And in this child's description of the event, what Freud records is that the child said, and the boy was being hit. And the boy was being hit. 
that the child himself who encountered the trauma in Freud's original recording of his trauma theory was incapable of reflecting on the fact that I was the person who experienced that event, but it was always removed from absolute consciousness. It was always post-reflective. It was always an estimated assumption. There was a boy being hit. There was something happening. I witnessed it from a distance, but I was not the individual who experienced the thing itself. And what that causes to us, what this confounding and confusing element of trauma, which disables us from being aware of that which is taking place at the immediate moment, always grasping at straws, trying to put pieces back together through our memory of that which always already happened, of vayi achar hadvarim ha'ela, is looking back at the capital T traumas or lowercase t traumas of our lives through the eyes of that little boy who were saying something took place to so-and-so, but it's always from a perspective of of belatedness, of afterwardness. And what that does to me as an individual is as follows. If I were aware of an event actually taking place, if I were aware of that traumatic moment, of that breakage where things that were expected were suddenly revealed to be unexpected, then I would be able to grasp it in my memory at least. But because at the very moment of the event itself, however slight or however severe, there is always already a void or a gap between the conscious experience of it and the event itself, it is never as if I have actually experienced the moment itself. When a trauma takes place, I can't look back and say, this is the trauma that has taken place. Because every time that I try and remember it, Every time that I try to recognize it, I am experiencing that moment on a certain level as if it's the first time I've experienced it. Traumatic memory is so traumatic because I was not present in the traumatic moment because I can't be present in the traumatic moment. The traumatic moment is the birth of the gap between presence and conscious awareness of that which took place. And therefore, every time I try and recollect or recall what has happened or what has taken place, whether it's the frustrations of day-to-day -day life or God forbid the capital T traumas of an individual's life, it's never some neat package of an event that has taken place and stop taking place. When I remember something, I am remembering a new part of it for the first time. I am uncovering more and more awareness of that trauma in real time. So by remembering that which has taken place, but I was always already too late to fully grasp what was taking place, I find myself re-encountering the moment over and over and over again, which is why traumatic memories are so different than the typical form of memory. When I'm remembering a trauma, it's not that I'm remembering a neatly understood event that I have placed in the history of my mind, but it's a recollection of that which took place. It's something that has always already taken place beyond my current post-traumatic consciousness. And therefore, when I encounter it, I'm stuck once again in that event. Now, in order to try and understand a, a healthy way of moving forward from this torture of time, from this stuckness in time, from this inability to ever fully remember exactly what has taken place and to be caught up in that 
call that I don't know what is calling me or that responsibility, but I know not towards what, or that speculation about what has taken place just prior to my conscious awareness of vahi achar hadvarim ha'ila. We have to try and understand what the Torah, what a healthy mindset of redeemed time looks like. Because in order for us to break free from the repetitious cycle of continuously living out over and over that traumatic event, which has happened just outside the purview of our consciousness, we have to learn how to stabilize time for ourselves. And to stabilize time is very simply to be present in time is to recognize that past, present, and future are nothing other than the iterations of the present moment. And that in truth, things have happened. And in truth, time did take place. And in truth, the events of our lives, whether or not we're capable of understanding the specific contours of them, it is not my necessity or my responsibility to understand what has taken place in the past or what is going to take place in the future all I need to focus on is the present itself. And when I learn how to focus on the present itself, when I learn how to grab hold of time in all of its presentness, I learn how to quiet down the absolute need to recapture the specific events of the past. I learn how to overcome the tendency to want to control the future. And I allow myself to settle into the rega itself. It's not after the events, it's not before the events, but I am living, I am re-entering into a time before time. I am entering into that quiet space in my mind where the Eitz Chaim is still accessible prior to partaking from the Eitz Das Tov Vera. And I'm no longer caught up trying to remember things that have happened to me or to piece back together my own personal narrative, which will always already be caught up in the question of truth versus untruth. And I am simply present in the moment itself. I am dealing with the emotions that are present. I am dealing with the feelings that I have right now. I am allowing myself to become aware of that thing has already happened. It's not happening to me anymore. It's not taking place anymore. The danger is not there anymore. The discomfort is not there anymore. All that exists in front of me is that which is present and saturated in this moment. And this moment, as Rabbi Nachman teaches us and our tzaddikim teach us, is an opportunity. Every moment, irrespective of the past that has given birth to it, irrespective of the future that will be born out of it, is an opportunity for me to connect myself to the hove, to the present of the saturating presence of godliness in this moment, to realize that masha haya haya, that which was, was haikar lahatchil menahaschala. I have to create new beginnings at every moment. I have to renew my life and renew my awareness of time and allow that flimsy grasp of experience to give birth to a perpetual renewal of the self, where I check myself and I say, what needs to be fixed from the past? What am I able to fix? What am I not able to fix? Let me fix what can be fixed. Let me let go of what can't be fixed. Let me check myself and become aware that I am safe right now. I am comfortable in this moment. And I allow myself to throw myself with absolute intensity into the moment itself. Hayom imbekolo tishma'u in order to fight against the post-traumatic nature of time, which tells us that we're always already too late, we have to throw ourselves into the redemptive experience of mindful time, of being present right here, right now, in this day, in this moment, in this exact experience, everything is present. Hayom imbekolo tishma'u. 
when I allow myself to detach myself from the past and to detach myself from the future, not to repress the symptoms of the past or the anxiety over the future, but to become aware of all that matters is what is in front of me right now and taking one step forward and living the experience of Chaye Oilam, even though we live in a world of Chaye Sha'a, to return back to a time before time, to return back to a place Lamalim in Hazman, Lamala from that Hazmana, above and beyond that urgent, anxious sense of responsibility and the calmness that descends upon a person when I realize that right here, right now, things are okay. To breathe, to check myself, to look around, to smell, to hear to ground myself in the present moment and to realize that I am here right now. Ana zamin lemeheve. The word for eheke, that name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name, which is future-oriented, tells us exactly what we need to know in order to break free of that post-traumatic time. Ana zamin lemeheve. I am prepared to be. I am here right now, and in this moment, there is nothing but the present moment. The past gives birth to this moment. The future is born out of this moment, but all I have right now is what is in front of me. And what Rabbi Nachman teaches us is that if I think about anything but the present moment, if I think about anything but the redeemed moment of right now, I'm lost. I'm totally torn asunder. The past will swallow me up. The future will swallow me up. I need to ground myself and forget. I need to forget the past. I need to forget the future, but not a forgetting that comes from an unhealthy perspective of repression or suppression, but a healthy shechacha de kedusha of entering into a place so far beyond the memories of past, present, and future and encountering pure presentness, pure momentary experience of that which is present right now with non-judgmentality. And in that moment, I am capable of uncovering for myself what it means to live a world of the future in the present right now. If I'm so afraid that I have always already missed something, that something stands right outside the purview of my consciousness that I'm missing, then I have to learn how to believe that everything that I could possibly ever need to encounter or be aware of is here right now in this moment. As Rabbi Nachman teaches us in Torah Sa'erev, as Rabbi Nachman teaches us in his famous teaching about time, he says as follows, that one of the major principles in the service of God is that an individual should not place in front of their eyes anything but today, whether it be in physical circumstances or whether it be in spirituality, I should not nor can I place anything but this particular day, and not only this particular day, but this particular hour in front of me. Because when I think about the past or the future, Future, the burden of experience feels far too large. The brokenness of the past or the anticipatory fear of the future destroys my ability to grab hold of the moment. And it's impossible. It's impossible for me to move forward. But when I place nothing but the present day, the present hour in front of me, then I'm free to serve God. I'm free to be myself in this particular moment. And when we see these measurements of a day, it's very important to remember that there are no days, there are only hours. And there are no hours, there are only minutes. And there are no minutes, there are only seconds. And there are no seconds, there are only moments. When we learn to uncover the ultimate fact that all that I need is present in front of me right now, I can experience And yes, the tohu is there. Yes, those things have happened. But the ikra question now is how do I move forward? How do I build myself out of that and move forward? And 
to break free from that busha, from that notion of being too late and beginning to believe that I am exactly where I need to be at this moment and to allow myself to live with a calmness that I'm not missing anything, that I'm not running anywhere, but rather I am here right now. And in that moment, a person can check themselves and remind themselves that they're okay that the trauma has already happened, that things have already broken. And at this point, we're already in a process of building ourselves up again, day in and day out. Be'ezra Sashem. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.